Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. You tricked me a couple of times there, right? Uh, welcome. Good morning. How are you? A couple of questions for you as you think about in your journey, in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. Who is us and who is them? I mean, who do you identify as us and who really annoys you as them? Because that's an important question. Especially when it comes to this next question, and that is, if I were going to ask you this morning to do some sort of self-assessment, to give me some kind of sense of, you know, how you're doing in your journey, don't shout out, don't write it down, don't post it on social media. If you're online, you don't have to put it in the comments. But on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you're lucky I'm sitting in this space listening in whatever capacity I'm sitting in this space listening, 10 being... I am crushing life. How are you doing with life? If you just did a little self-assessment and said, I think, I'm, I think I'm on this end. Now, I realize when I ask that question that there are different kinds of personalities in the room. So some people in the room, your personality is that you are a pessimist. So you're probably grading yourself a little lower than you're actually doing you're probably doing better than you think you are. And then there are people in the room that are realists, and that means that you would like more information. You need a little more time. You'd like to write some things down and maybe do a little math in order to somehow, you know, figure out exactly what your rating would be. And then there's a few people in the room that are optimists. You're probably rating yourself a little higher than you're actually doing. And if we were to ask some of the people with whom you're doing life, they would go, no, let's, uh, <laughs> no, you kind of think you're here. You're probably here. And then there are also delusionists who, <laughs> who just don't really understand the question. And uh, in Texas, we had a saying, and that was, I'd like to buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. You understand, you know, just I'm just crushing it all the time. What I think is gospel, it's all good. If I think it, it's the right thing. And I think that matters because we're going to talk about Jonah. And we're doing this little series called Overlooked. And we're calling it Overlooked because we're doing the minor prophets. And the minor prophets are so often overlooked. Not many of us say, you know what I'd like to do? I'm going to go read me some Habakkuk. I'm just <laughs> super excited about Habakkuk. But Jonah doesn't really get overlooked. I mean, Jonah is sort of the poster child for all of the minor prophets because he's the most popular. Because we all were told the story of Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a... Okay, see, you people are highly educated. Because that's not what you were taught as children, that he was swallowed by a big fish. You were taught that he was taught by, swallowed by a whale. By a whale. But then somebody said a whale can't swallow anything larger than an orange. It couldn't have been a whale. And the Hebrew actually says it was a big fish. But we know the story. You can't bring up Jonah in, in almost any context that people won't go, oh, yeah, Jonah and the fish guy. Yeah, he got swallowed by a fish. But this story of Jonah is a weird, weird story. 
Back in 2014, we did a long series on the book of Jonah, like six weeks we spent in the book of Jonah. And I have not been able to get away from the story of Jonah since that time. So I've used it in a multiple kinds of settings, and, and uh, I've sort of kept analyzing it and sort of, you know, trimming it down. And, you know, and so today I just want to share with you some of the reflections that I've had over the last few years about this story of Jonah. And I will tell you this. We don't really like Jonah at the beginning of the story. I mean, that sympathetic guy that you heard about in a children's story that got swallowed by the fish, that guy is not very likable in the actual story. He doesn't seem to be a very good human being. And then after some things happen to him and he goes on this journey, by the end of the story, we still don't like him very much. He's still not a very good human. He has no arc. He has no, there's no narrative arc in which he's like, oh, and then it turned out okay. No. He's kind of miserable in the beginning, and he's kind of miserable in the middle, and then he's miserable in the end. And we're talking about overlooked mission as it's related to this person, Jonah. And so if I were to just sort of dial back and say, okay, let's go back to the one between 1 and 10, rating yourself, and then let's, let's apply it to some other things. Not just how you're doing generally in life, but how are you doing in life on a scale of 1 to 10 in doing things that matter in eternity? Take your time. On a scale to ten, of 1 to 10, how are you doing in terms of missional thinking? And by the way, this is supposed to be depressing, this part. You're supposed to be going, I don't even really know what he's talking about right now. Things that matter in eternity. Hmm. Because I want to encourage you with the story of Jonah. Because I'm betting that every single person online, every single person that will join us this week, every single person sitting in this room, you're doing better than Jonah. I'm just betting. Attitude-wise, spirit-wise, mission-wise, things that matter in eternity-wise, navigating life-wise, I bet you're all doing better than Jonah. And here's the crazy thing. God used Jonah. He used Jonah. Don't know. I'm not recommending that we follow the pattern. Understand? I'm just saying in spite of everything that Jonah does to sort of get off track, God still finds a way. In the midst and the incredible grace that comes around Jonah in his bigotry and bad attitude and all the things that are going on. It's pretty amazing. Jonah serves in the 8th century B.C., about the same time as Micah. I only mention that because we're going to talk about Micah next week. So, you know, 8th century B.C., that's the 700s. He's serving at a time just before the fall of the northern kingdom. Assyria is soon going to descend and and sack the northern kingdom, which happens in about 726. The kingdom divides in nine, you know, 900s, and then, you know, we have this period of time in which everybody's a little lost. We're getting laid into that period of time. The Assyrians have begun to rise. In fact, by the time Jonah comes on the scene... The nation of Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, have risen in affluence and influence. They're enjoying a time of great prosperity. But along with that prosperity has come the fact that Assyria has begun to look at the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and think, you know, that would be a nice group to have. (laughs) 
And so they have begun to exert pressure. So for several decades, by the time Jonah does his work, Assyria has been collecting a tribute from both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, which means in spite of the affluence, you're paying a bunch of taxes to another country so they won't come and attack you, which kind of has a PR problem if you think about it. And so Jonah is invited now by God. And the interesting thing about Jonah is he has no prophetic influence. He's one of the minor prophets, and yet he doesn't do anything prophetic at all. This is simply a personal story of God calling Jonah and Jonah's personal struggle with what God is asking him to do. And the lengths to which he will go to get away from what God wants to do with him and through him. It's kind of a vivid, and I like it when people tell me, you know, the, the Bible is propaganda. This one should not be in the Bible. It doesn't promote very many, except it does really promote the grace of God. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that at this point in my journey, everyone else is smarter than me. Anybody else having that experience? Thank you for that honesty. One person lifted a hand. I mean, if you were to just stop and you were to say, listen, when I listen, when I look in my inbox, when I listen to people talk, everybody's doing better than me. Everybody has answers that I don't have. I get 30 or 40 emails a day from people telling me how to help the church through the pandemic. Does that seem odd to anyone? Because it seems to me in real time we're all going through this together. Like we're figuring it out as we go. But evidently, <laughs> there are people that are way smarter than me that have figured it out. And I am invited to put my credit card in. And for money, they will tell me how to do this. Do... do you get that in your line of work? Do people send you multiple emails? Away? I mean, I know that we all get that. I mean, I know that if you and I have had a conversation about something that hurts, about something going on with you physically, you know, well, this isn't working right, and that's not, and, ugh, I don't know about that, and what's that, that you have that, and then things appear in your inbox to tell you how to fix it. It's usually CBD related. I'm the only one that gets those. Okay, sure. Sure, whatever. Just chew the gummy. You'll sleep better. Your joints won't hurt. Everything will be better if you chew the gummy. I don't know. Mine are still on the way. Just kidding. I was just seeing if you were listening. But it seems to me that we live in a culture of critics. We live in a culture where everybody's analyzing and telling us what we're doing wrong. And I don't know that you can turn on the television without hearing a litany of what's wrong in the world and, and who is us and who is them. And, and we tune into our own little outlets because we prefer their us and their them to someone else's us and their them. And God forbid that he would ever call us to love all people and everybody. And it seems social media contributes to that. I, I just saw a statistic study that was just recently done, and in this time, 2022, uh, people in the United States of America call themselves Christians, spend two hours a month in church. That's the average. At the same time, we are inundated with 150,000 ads per week. 150,000 ads per week. Almost all of those ads are targeted at our image. How to look better, how to feel better, how to be better, how to be happier, how to be better adjusted. And it takes a toll 
on our sense of well-being. How are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10? How are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10 with the mission and purpose that God has intended for us in the world to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, ambassadors of reconciliation, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. Let's talk a little bit about this guy, Jonah. Jonah's got a great life plan. So here's the first thing Jonah does. Jonah runs away. Number one. Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. So here's what's going on. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria has been laying siege. Uh, Israel has been paying tribute to Assyria now for several decades. There's a looming, growing power in Assyria. And Israel sort of knows if we step out of line, Assyria is going to come and they're going to destroy us. And they do. They do. And then God says to Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And Jonah says, nope. Nope, there's us and there's them, and that's a them that I am not interested in talking to. I don't need to be used by you. I don't need to have any sort of story going on. And we're going to find out the depth of what's going on in his spirit and attitude. We don't know it yet. We just know he'd rather run than do what God has asked him to do. And he emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and geographically goes as far to the opposite end of the spectrum as he can go. He runs in the exact opposite direction. He runs as far as he can until he runs out of land and he gets on a boat and he continues his journey as far in the opposite direction as he can. He's traveling west. <laughs> By the way, he lives in what we now call northern Galilee, upper Galilee, somewhere up in the Nazareth area, up in that neighborhood. He's kind of up there. He's not too far over to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. Assyria is way to the east. It's, it's over there. <laughs> and he goes that way, that way, as far and as fast as he can. He runs the other way. In every part of him, he, he wants no part of it. He runs from unpleasant responsibility. He, he runs from unwanted changes. God's asking to change the dance, and he doesn't want it to change. He likes who he likes, he hates who he hates, and he doesn't want God interfering at this level of his personal insight and journey. Anybody else feel convicted by Jonah? That was a murmur or a groan. It wasn't an amen in there anywhere. but He runs from the fear of what God really wants. He's not just running because he doesn't want to be a part of preaching in Nineveh. He doesn't want God doing anything for Nineveh. And he's afraid if he goes, God might do something nice for Nineveh. And he wants no part of doing anything nice for them. And so he runs. He runs as far and as fast as he can. Number two. He refuses to change. He refuses to change. Listen to how this unfolds as the chapter continues. You know, there's consequences for running. We don't all hit them quite as quickly as Jonah. Jonah runs. He gets on a boat. The boat sets sail. And immediately it's engulfed in a storm. 
This is how it unfolds. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah looks at the group, and and, and immediately the consequences of his running is there's a storm. And they say, what is going on? This is terrifying. And they look at him and they go, what have you done? Because he's openly admitted, I am running away from the Lord. You know, that kind of like, yeah, I don't don't have any regrets. I don't have any shame. I'm just running. And so he says, well, it's my fault. It's my fault. I am to blame. You you can't put this off on anybody else. These consequences that are going on here are the problem. It's me. It's all me. It's my choices. It's what I want. It's my attitude. It's my spirit. It's me. He understands. There's no confusion in his head. He's not calculating cultural blah, 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 politics. He's not doing it. It's me. God wants me to do something. I don't want to do it. I've run the opposite way. And now there's this massive storm. And they say, well, what do you think we should do? And he says... Toss me overboard. Toss me overboard. (laughs) Now, it would seem that that would be like, okay, it's my fault. I'm taking responsibility. But repentance would mean turning around. Repentance would mean turn this boat around and get me back on the land, head me back in the direction of Nineveh, and when the boat stops, I'll get off and I'll head for Nineveh. But that's not what he says. (laughs) He doesn't say turn the boat around. It's my fault. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to go. He says... I would rather die. I'd rather you throw me overboard than turn around and go back and preach to Nineveh. So just throw me overboard. And they're appalled. They're just like, no, that is not, that is not the code of the sea. That is not what we do. And so they just put everybody to work. They get everybody on an oar. They're going to row. You, you can feel their thinking. They're saying, I, I'm not going to have that on my conscience for the rest of my life. No way. We're going to row over to the, to the shore, and we're going to dump you out, and you and God can figure out whatever you and God need to figure out, but, but we're not going to be a part of tossing you overboard. Have to live with that nightmare for the rest of our lives. But Jonah, rather than actually change things in his heart and in his mind and in his spirit, would rather die than change. And so, they toss him overboard. After the countermeasures don't work, after they row and row, and and Jonah just sits around letting them try, just sits around watching them work, just sits around watching people try to intervene in his life and help bring about some solution to the hatred he feels, some solution to the disobedience in which he's participating. He, He just sits around and lets them try and fight and go on and on, knowing full well that what would fix the problem is for him to change his heart and to change his mind. And so finally they give up and they toss him overboard. And we're told in very graphic language that he sinks. That he sinks and he sinks and he sinks and he sinks and he sinks. 
He tells us this vivid, vivid story of what he sees and what he observes as he's dropping down. And as he drops down, he, he, he has not yet reached a moment where something has changed inside of his heart. It reads like this, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So, so he says, I'd rather die than change. They toss him overboard. He sinks and he sinks. I'll read the rest of it in just a minute. And what do you think God's response to this defiant behavior is? He's given up. He's quit. He's content to die and finally be done. <laughs> and he sinks and he sinks and he sinks and he sinks. And of all things... He is swallowed by a fish. Now, how do you think Jonah is emotionally reacting to this? Don't you think that the, that the fish swallows Jonah and he goes, Are you kidding me? Are you, are you even kidding me? I am so ready to be done with this call to go to Nineveh. I just want to go to sleep. I just want to drown. And you send a fish... And I'm down here in the belly of a fish and I'm still consciously talking to you? Are you even kidding me? Where do I need to go to get away? And now in this moment, at the very depths of experience, Jonah finally begins to see some change of heart. But just so you know, it's an inconsistent commitment. Listen to what he says. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Really? And the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. It's a nice detail, isn't it? To the roots of the mountains I sank. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Sounds like he's had a change of heart, doesn't it? He doesn't have a change of heart when God asks him to go. He doesn't have a change of heart as he runs away. He doesn't have a change of heart when the storm comes. He doesn't have a change of heart as they try to intervene and protect him. He doesn't have a change of heart as he sinks. He doesn't have a change of heart as the bottoms of the mountains come into view. He doesn't have a change of heart when the seaweed wraps around him. But finally, when he's in the belly of the fish... He says, you know, God, this seems so convenient, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, God, I really do want to do what you want me to do. And the fish vomits him up. And he goes, to his credit, to Nineveh. And he preaches to the city of Nineveh. <laughs> and he's not at all happy 
with the result. He's not thrilled at all with what happens next. Number four, he lacks passion for the lost. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, when he preached to them, and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better me to die than live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what happened, would happen to the city. So, in other words, he gets out of the fish, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel, and then he's like, they're not going to listen. It's not going to go well. I'm going to go up on the hillside. I'm going to find myself a shelter, and I'm going to watch the destruction of this city. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> he doesn't have a real heart for the lost. He doesn't have that sense. He's, he's kind of had a strange sort of commitment, and now it's happening, and and they've repented, and God has shown them. I just feel so convicted by the reality of Jonah's attitude and his spirit. Each of us, we have our own sense of us and our own sense of them. And we want God to love those that think and act and see the world the way we see it. And we want God to dislike the people who see the world differently than we see it. And that divisiveness is so deeply ingrained in human beings. I mean, it, it's in our culture, it's in our politics, but it's inside our churches, too, where we pick sides, and we argue with one another, and we point fingers, and we criticize, and we, we feel justified in our hatred and in our righteous indignation, and we forget that this is a redemptive and graceful God. And this graceful God is working on Jonah and Jonah's spirit and Jonah's attitude. And Jonah's an insider. And he's a child of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's a part of the chosen people. And he sees himself as such. And he sees those people as those people. And he sees that what God ought to do is he ought to destroy those people. So us people will be better off. Us people will be safer. Us people will be okay. And yet God says, I can change the heart and spirit and mind of anybody. If only you're willing to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and an ambassador of reconciliation. And listen, let's not make this theoretical. Our very homes are being divided down the lines of these cultural distinctions. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in us all and over all. One God who is drawing each of us into a likeness of his very being. People who are new to the process, people who've been in the process a long time. Some of us have been in the process a long time and we've decided we've arrived. Amen? Okay. I mean, I know about the people that are out there and there's a long way to go to be the likeness of Christ, but I also have been a pastor for a long time. 
And it seems to me that in the life of the church, some folks get to a certain point and go, that's it. That's all the growing and changing and maturing I'm doing. I'm pretty much Christ-like. If you don't think so, ask me. I'm it. This is it. Look at that. See what Jesus is like? Amen. And that's going on right now around our world and around our culture. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And all of us are in pursuit of growing these fruits, whether we're new to the kingdom, whether we're still being evangelized by the provenient grace of God that God's called some Jonah against his will to go out and preach the gospel to a bunch of people he hopes never convert. (laughs) What a weird story this is. I'm so glad none of us are like that. We've gotten over it. But God used Jonah. Number five, Jonah lacks maturity. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Jonah must have been a barrel of fun. I mean, he just must have been a guy you just love to hang out with and have coffee. Just makes you feel better about being alive, you know. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. (sighs) But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also many animals. And this is how we leave Jonah. This is the end of the story. This is where we leave him, immature, mad, angry at God because he took away his leafy plant that was giving him shade. And the whole time he's been terribly angry that God is providing any kind of care for these people in Nineveh that he identifies now as his own children, as a product of his own creation. Would I not be concerned about this 120,000 human beings because they don't suit you? No, I love them. I love them. But somehow God used Jonah. So I'm not saying we should emulate these attributes. I'm not saying that you and I should aspire to be like Jonah. I'm just simply reminding you of this. In spite of how you see yourself. In spite of how you see it going. In spite of the fact that maybe you don't think you're crushing life right now, in spite of the fact that maybe when asked a question about your mission and your purpose, about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, about doing things that have eternal significance. Remember, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man took and he planted in his backyard. It's like a little bit of yeast worked in 60 pounds of dough. These little efforts don't seem like they're going to make any difference, but they do. They do. So go Be the kingdom of God on earth. Let God check attitudes 
Think again about who is us and who is them. And think about what spirit goes inside of that. Is there any sense of compassion? Is there any sense of prayer? Is there any sense of desire that God would transform this world? Because our God is bigger than politics. Our God is so much bigger than the politics of the United States of America. Could we do better than a murmur? Thank you. God is so much bigger than the politics of this country. He's so much bigger than the cultural issues that we face in 2022. He's been guiding the kingdom of God since the creation of the world. And there is a plan, a trajectory, a a telos. There is a destiny for the creation that God is guiding forward to its destiny. And we are are longing and asking your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh yeah, let's love them too. Let's love them too. Let's love them too. Years ago when I started seminary, you, you take a couple of classes right away that sort of jar your faith. The first one is called Philosophical Backgrounds of the Christian Faith. And, and that course is where you kind of get into the big scope of what human beings were believing as, you know, Israel formed into a nation and Abraham and Isaac, you know, and Jacob formed into a, a mass of people and where they got and what beliefs and how did it all form and where did it go and what was happening in the first century and uh, philosophical backgrounds of the Christian faith. As soon as that class is over, you jump into the next class, which is ethics. What does it mean to be a good human being in the complexity of the world? And our ethics professor came into class the first day and he said, I want to ask you folks a question. Now, just so you know, this, I'm just relating to you the story. You understand? I was a participant at the level of listening to what I was being asked. So don't send me an email. <laughs> and he said, I want to ask you a question. I want you to imagine that you have died, and now you're at the judgment seat. And they've opened the book of life, and they're just about to read the names of who's in and who's out. (laughs) And Jesus walks in the room, and he says, I just want to ask and invite anyone here who wants to give their life to Christ to do so at this moment. How do you feel? Well, that ain't right. I, I know. No, no, they had their chance. They missed it. We're in. They're out. Those people had way more fun than we did when they were alive. It's our turn now. (laughs) I'm just telling you what people who are about to go out and spend the rest of their life sharing the gospel, what the spirit in the room was. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. No, no. No, 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 no. And our ethics professor said, nice attitude. Wouldn't a heart of compassion say, I don't care what it takes. I don't know how it all works, but I want every single person from every single race, background, political belief system, I want them to have as many chances as possible to come into the kingdom of God and commit their lives. And I just hope God keeps doing amazing things with people that I identify as them instead of us because I want every single person from every single walk of life I want to live like that. I want to believe like that. I want to treat people that way. I want to believe that I am 
the salt of the earth and the light of the world, an ambassador of reconciliation. I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be ordered by and therefore pleasing to him. I want to be a kingdom person, and I want to do it better than Jonah. I want to actually feel some sense of actual care for the people around me. I want the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I want them to mark my life and my journey. And maybe I won't change the world, but I might change my own home and my own family. I might change the community of faith in which I worship. We might be able with all sincerity to pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you help us? As we respond to your word, as we think about what this means, as we think about where we are in our journey, we're probably doing better than we think. Most of us don't feel like we're just crushing it and we're getting it all right. We're, we're struggling, we're trying, we want to. Sometimes we don't feel like we're bringing ourselves very far along. And I think the story of Jonah is there to encourage us. To remind us, first of all, that you just never give up on us. However petty and immature and inconsistent we might be, however we might run away, whatever underlying it all we might really want down underneath in our deep, deep motives, you still love us. And even when we're so stubborn, we'd rather die than change. You find ways to take grace to the very depths of our existence. You can find grace in a big fish. You can find grace anywhere. And you keep pouring out grace on us and bringing us along and, and teaching us and inviting us and growing us. I pray, God, that each of us would search for the mission to which you've called us. And we would serve exactly in that way today. And that you would lead us and guide us. Hear our response, we pray. We pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said together, Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.